right, thank you very much. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 1. If I can make uh, a couple of announcements. First of all, uh, we would love for you to follow us online uh, at, our, at our website is stevepettit.com. Is that simple? And from there, you can go to all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. Um, it's hard for me to say X, Twitter. Uh, you can follow us there. Uh, we would really act like we encourage you to subscribe. We'll send out emails and updates. Uh, God has been wonderfully merciful to us to allow us to, do where, to be where we are today. And some wonderful people have helped us along the way to help us get started and move out. Um, but we would most of all really covet your prayers. And our mission is really simple. Uh, our primary mission is really to focus on, on evangelism and the gospel. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, last, the last three or four years have just been so unusual. You've got COVID, you've got all this going on. And, um, you know, for such a time as this, we need to emphasize the gospel. Uh, Greenville is a booming city. It is a booming city without the Lord. And God's people need to be fervent to share the gospel message. And that really is our primary focal point, and we would greatly appreciate your prayers. May we pray together. Lord, we're so thankful to be together in your house, to gather together, to hear your word preached. We want to honor you by honoring your word, and we ask for your blessing on our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. The idea or the belief that there is a God, the existence of God, cannot be separated from the idea that God, if he exists, must be good. Consider the nature of this question. If God is so good, then why is there so much evil in the world? Now the question presupposes that if there is a God, then that God should not be evil. I mean, think about it. One of the primary reasons today people become atheists, and I would like to say, if we put it in modern terms, why many people are deconstructing the faith, especially those that have grown up in Christian homes. One of the reasons people do that is because of the existence of evil in the world. And it seems inconsistent and irrational to an atheist to believe in the existence of a God who is completely good, who knows everything, he is omniscient, who has all power, he is omnipotent, and yet he allows evil at the same time. And since there is the reality of evil, then God cannot be a reality. And so the belief that there is a God cannot be separated from the idea, the notion, the belief that God must be good. So here's what I'd like to do tonight. I'm not going to use an apologetic defense of the goodness of God in some, some philosophical manner because I'm a preacher of the Bible. And that's not a step down. That's a step up. And what I would like to do is to simply declare 
from the Bible, what he says about himself, that God is good. And so the first thing I'd like us to notice tonight, found in Genesis chapter 1, is that the Bible clearly declares in the very beginning of creation that God is good. For we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. And in doing that, it wasn't primarily a display of his power, although that is true. But it was a primarily a display of his goodness. His creation was an act of his goodness. For example, he tells us in Genesis 1 in verse 4 that God saw the light and it was good. Do you think light is good? How many of you have ever woke up in the middle of the night to do whatever you need to do and almost break your neck? Or you break your toe because you hit it on the corner of a dresser and you didn't want to bother to turn the light on? Aren't you glad when the sun comes up in the morning? Aren't you glad that you don't have to live in darkness? We all know light is good. And then the Bible says that not only did God create the light, but it's very clear that he created the waters of the earth. He created the dry land, verse 10. And it says, and God saw that it was good. He made the entire earth, the mountains, the heaven, the earth, the seas. I mean, how many things are on your life's bucket list that is simply to go see what God created? certain mountains, certain location in the world. I'm often asked the question, what's your favorite place you travel to? I, I guess I should say Greenville, South Carolina, but um, I am a South Carolinian, but, but aren't you glad for the land? How many of you have ever flown in an airplane and you were glad the plane landed? <laughs> Years ago, I flew to the country of India for the very first time. And it was a very long trip. We flew halfway around the world. Um, you know, I was in a whole new culture. And I was so glad when we landed and I got off the plane and I stood on the ground in India. And then I got in a taxi cab and realized that my troubles had just begun. <laughs> God made the land and he said it was good. And then the Bible tells us here, beginning in verse 11 and 12, that God made the trees that yield fruit and God made the vegetables that come out of the ground. How good is it to eat an apple or an orange or to eat some kind of fruit? We all know that that is good for us. It is good for us to eat vegetables whether we want to or not because your mother says it's good for you. The Bible says it's good. Then the scriptures tell us in verse 18 and 19 that God made the sun to rule by day and the moon by night. And God said that it was good. It's always a delight for the sun to rise in the morning, especially on a cold winter morning when you go out and you feel the warmth of the rays of the sun. God said it was good. And then it says God created every living animal don't you like animals? How many of you have a dog? Okay. All right. Not too many. We won't mention cats. We'll leave that one alone. How many of you like to eat animals? Yes, there's more hands that just went up. 
I mean, my wife and I celebrated this past week our 43rd wedding anniversary. We woke up that morning and neither one of us realized it was the day of our anniversary. <laughs> and so we made up for it last night by going out to eat at a restaurant and we, we ordered a steak. We ordered a really, really big steak and we shared it. And you know what? I'm so glad that that cow made that ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> it's good. Aren't you glad that you can eat chicken? How about, how about pork? Life is too short not to eat bacon. <laughs> I, I'm, I never pass up bacon, never pass up bacon. And all of these things are good. And then the Bible tells us here in Genesis chapter one that God's ultimate creation was to make man, that's male and female, in his own image. And when God did this, he says in verse 31, he saw this and it was very good. What would life be like without people? My wife and I, we don't watch a lot of television. I, for whatever reason, I don't, there's just not much that interests me on television. But there's one television show that occasionally we watch together. It's the, we sit down and watch TV time. And it's a TV show called Alone. Have you ever watched Alone? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's 10 people who are trying to make a million dollars and they are taken out like as far north in Canada as you, as you can go. And they drop you out there sometime in September and you have to live there 100 days by yourself. You have to build your own place to live and you have to figure out what to eat and all that. And I think, first of all, I'm not really interested in doing that. And then after a while, what you find out is the problem in living that is not making a place to live, a shelter, not getting necessarily food, though it's a problem, uh, uh, not, not staying warm. The problem is that the people cannot psychologically handle being all alone. And all that they can think about is their family or their children or the people that are most important in their life. People in our lives are a blessing from God. It is good. And the Bible declares that from the very beginning, this is a revelation of God's goodness. In, in Exodus 34 and verse six, one of the most fundamental statements found in the entire Bible concerning the nature of good of God is the declaration of his goodness. It says the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness. And so the scriptures declare God's goodness. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. But then secondly, let me say that the Bible not only declares the goodness of God, but it defines the goodness of God. When we think of something that is good, what do we think of? Well, intuitively, we know what's good. If you go out to eat on a Saturday night to a restaurant at six o'clock and you pull in the parking lot and the sign says open and you're the only car in the parking lot, what do you think intuitively? Maybe this is not a good place for me to eat. Have you ever eaten at a restaurant and you walked out and said, well, that's the last time we'll ever eat there. We know what is good. We know it intuitively. A good day, a good job, a good family. 
In contrast, we know when things are bad, a bad meal or a bad day. But what is involved in the idea of goodness? It is a display of the character of God. And when God speaks about his goodness, he speaks about his blessing. He speaks about his benefits to us. He speaks about his beauty because we know intuitively when something is beautiful, if you are an artistic person, whether in painting or drawing or acting or singing or whatever field of art you enjoy, you know when something's good and when something's not good. And so what is the goodness of God? Well, to put it in the best way we can in a simple way, it is God's desire for our well-being, our benefit. And since God is perfect, it is his perfection, his totality. And the way he thinks, it's a complete desire for our goodness. And the choices that he makes, it's for our goodness. And the way that he feels towards us, it is for our, it is his goodness towards us. It is God's desire for our well-being and it is, it is his abundant generosity in providing for that well-being. God's goodness is the blessing of his bountiful provision and his benevolent generosity towards his people. The Jewish people, they understood this. In Deuteronomy 30 verse 9, it says, And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over, his, over thy fathers. They understood. They understood God's blessing. And let me say that God's goodness is indiscriminate. Remember what Jesus said? He said he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. When you woke up this morning, did the sun only shine on the people of God in Greenville and darkness on the rest? When it rains in the upstate of South Carolina, does rain only fall on the families that go to Baptist churches? Or does it fall on everyone? God does not discriminate in his goodness to mankind. We call that common grace. What we mean by common grace is God's blessing, God's benefits to us. And so the things that we experience as human beings, God's advances, for example, technology or education or medicine. Let's be honest. There are many of us sitting in this room, if it were not for medicine and the advancement of it, we wouldn't be here. And so we take that as God's blessing and God's benefit. And let me just say this, that God is always so good even when others are not. Do you remember a fellow in the Bible named Joseph? He grew up in a family of all older brothers. That's tough. But his older brothers hated him. They despised him. And so what did the big brothers do? They didn't beat him up. They threw him in a pit. And then later they sold him as a slave. Can you imagine? Picked up, carried to a foreign land, in another culture, another language, worshiping gods and false idols. And Joseph was forsaken by his own family. 
There he's sold to the commanding officer of the king's bodyguard, and he serves as a slave in the family, and he does his best. He does his best because he knows his God. And while he's serving, the commanding officer, his name was Potiphar, had a wife, and she began to tempt or try to seduce Joseph. I mean, I don't know why. I'm assuming Joseph was a handsome man. I, I think he was probably a very uh, caring person, very uh, responsible person. And the Bible tells us that he resisted her advances. He said, how can I sin and do this great wickedness against God? And so in anger, she turned against him and she accused him of trying to rape her. And so he's taken and he was thrown into prison. Imagine that. Falsely accused. He never, I mean, it was the opposite. And he suffered from that. While he was in prison, God gave him the ability to interpret dreams and two men that were thrown into prison that worked for the king, the baker and the butler. And said, and they came to him and said, we have a dream. Here's the dream. And he interprets the dream and he says to the baker, oh, sorry guy, tomorrow you're not going to live. But he says to the butler, you're going to be sent back to the king. When you go back, would you tell the king that I've done nothing wrong? And he promises and he gets out and he goes back and he forgets all about him. And that forgetfulness was not for one year. It was for two years. He stayed in prison two years longer because he forgot about him. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you would be sitting in prison going, dude, when are you going to think about it? Falsely accused, forsaken, forgotten. Those are the very things that cause us to be want, begin to wonder, God, are you really good? Because when people destruct their faith, when, they, when there's a deconstruction, when they walk away, at some heart, there is a question of the goodness of God. And yet God was merciful to Joseph, and all along the way, God blessed him. And Joseph kept a humble and a grateful heart when he got out of prison. And when he rose from the prison to the palace to become the prime minister of Egypt, he remembered that God was good to him. And he said to his own brothers, you did what you did. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Let me tell you something. God is good even when others are bad to you. God never changes. God is always good. And then I want you to notice number three tonight that not only does the Bible define and declare the goodness of God, but the Bible describes the goodness of God. Now, when we try to describe the goodness of God, obviously you can't do that in a short sermon. So what is God's goodness like? Well, let's just throw some key things out there. Number one, God's goodness is desirable. It's something that we want. It's what draws us to him. Think about it. What draws us to a rose? What draws us to a Saturday evening barbecue? It's something in the senses, sight, smell, touch, taste, the things that we think will bring a sense of satisfaction. It is the goodness of God that is the satisfying aspect of his nature. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, 14, my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Think about it, discontent, unhappy people. Is it because they've really never discovered that God actually is good? Psalm 103, verse five, who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that, they, that thy youth 
is renewed like the eagles. God's goodness is satisfying. God's goodness is desirable. God's goodness is what sustains us. Think about it. It's what we want when things are really bad. I mean, how often do we hope for God's goodness in the midst of something very difficult? The writer of Psalms says, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. And fainting, I don't think it's just passing out. I think it's giving up. It's walking away. I would have given up if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord. It's the goodness of the Lord is what makes it so that we can make it. We cannot live without his goodness. Let me also say the goodness of God is not only desirable, but it's communicable. The very nature of goodness is to be generous. That's the idea of it. It's his bounty. It's his blessing. It's his generosity. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights. The word come down means to walk down. It means that whenever God shows up, it's always good. Stephen Sharnock, who was an old Puritan theologian, said God is more prone to communicate his goodness than is the sun to spread its rays and to give off its heat. God delights in being good. It's his pleasure. He enjoys giving more than receiving. Jesus said it, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. God is eager to bestow good things to those who ask him in prayer. If you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, that should be retranslated to your grandchildren. What are grandchildren? It's God's gift for raising your children. My wife spends a lot of her time thinking about how to spend my money for her grandchildren. And when she shows up, the first thing the grandchildren are going to ask is, what did you bring for me? It's a generosity. Years ago, I was preaching down in the state of Florida, and I was in a church with a pastor. He's kind of one of those pastors that the moment you meet him, you never forget him. And he said to me one day, Steve, I want to buy you the nicest pair of shoes you've ever owned. I said, okay. Back in the day, this was a few years back, they were floor shines. He said, well, what kind of floor shine would you like? And I thought, well, I probably should be conservative. I said, buy me a pair of wingtips. You ever heard of wingtips? It's like really old people wear them. So I got a pair of black wingtip wing tip dress shoes. I was a preacher. And I wore those shoes until I wore the soles out and I resold them. They got a new sole. And I wore those out until they had holes in them. And I put it up in my hall of fame of shoes. But what I remember the most is not the wearing of the shoes, but the statement that this pastor said to me when he handed me the shoes. And he said, Steve, and it was, he wanted to make a point. The whole reason he bought the shoes was to make a point. He said, never underestimate the generosity of God. I never forgot it. 
Thou art coming to a king with thee, large petitions bring for his grace and power of such that none can ever ask too much. God communicates his goodness to us. It is communicable. And then let me say that this goodness that God communicates to us is immutable. By immutable, I mean it doesn't change. He says, for I am the Lord, I don't change. God's goodness is a quality that never changes. God is eternally good. And it doesn't matter how bad people are. God can't be anything but good all the time. The goodness of God is a quality that can never run out. God is infinitely and inexhaustibly good. There is no limitation to God's goodness. And that leads me to the last point. And that is God's goodness. Or let me say it this way. The Bible demonstrates God's goodness to us in one great, clear illustration. One that we are to hold on to 24-7. And that is God's goodness is best demonstrated in the way he responds to man's badness. And consider with me tonight, if you will, the great example we find in the Bible of this, and that is the example of the first man named Adam. I want you to consider him. For the Bible says that he was formed in God's likeness so that when he was made, he was made like God. Now let me just stop here and say all of us are made in God's likeness. We are God's image bearers. But there's a difference between you and Adam. Because when Adam was created, he was what you wish you could be. He was perfect. He was perfect in every imaginable way. Consider what his home was like, his environment, what was furnished for him. Every need was met in abundance. The garden he lived in was a garden of fruit trees. Eden was a model of everything beautiful and pleasurable, filled with colors and fragrances and tastes that God gave in a beautiful place called paradise. It was a beautiful world. He was given a beautiful work. He had a beautiful wife. And one other thing about Adam, and that is when he was created, he was fitted to live with God because when he was made, he was originally righteous. Let me put it this way. Obedience to God's commands was his greatest delight. He reveled in God's presence. He passionately desired Every moment he could have with the Lord. Adam wasn't sinful. He was sinless. However, there was a restriction placed upon Adam in the garden. That is, he had access to every tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was that restriction that was used for his downfall. For the Bible says Satan came and tempted his wife Eve with a question. Consider the question. Yea, if God said you can't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Always remember that a question is always not asked to get an answer, but it's, it's, it's asked in some ways to make an insinuation. 
to cause you to begin to question things by implications. Yea, if God said you can't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if God is so good, why is it that he is restricting you? Why is God holding back? And it was that deceitful suggestion that led to the world's downfall. Adam and Eve willfully in the garden turned against God's goodness and chose sin and its consequences. Now I want you to think about how bad that was. We often question God's goodness when we see so much evil, but Adam questioned God's goodness when he had never seen any evil. All he had seen, all he had known was the goodness of God. He never saw the bad to question the good. How bad was Adam when he turned away from God's goodness? And what did God do? Well, let me ask you a question. What would you have done? Had you been this marvelously good to someone, so that's all you desired for them, and that's all you provided for them, and they questioned you, and they walked away, what would you do? Well, I think I know what I would do. But it is right at this moment that the light of God's goodness shines so much more brightly against the backdrop of man's sinfulness because it was right at this point at the beginning of the Bible that God reveals to us his good news. It's found in the third chapter of Genesis, verse 15. We call it the proto-evangelum. That is the first gospel sermon. Genesis 3.15, God says, I am going to put enmity between Satan and the seed of the woman. And Satan will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman will bruise the head of of the serpent. That is, he will break the power of Satan. And that is the first what we call good news in the Bible in the face of man's badness. And the rest of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is a finger pointing forward to God fulfilling that promise. The whole Old Testament. That is, it's a picture. It's a picture. God gives pictures. God gives prophecies. God makes promises. God gives examples in multiple different ways. The entire Old Testament is pointing forward to a day when God is going to show his ultimate goodness in the face of man's badness. And when did he show that? On the the evening when Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, the angels shouted to the shepherds, said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will towards men. God showed his goodness and that he sent his son into the world to undo what Adam did, to reverse Adam's curse, to change what Adam messed up. For Adam brought sin into the world from the first birth and the son of God, Jesus, came to establish a second birth where we could be forgiven and have a relationship with God in such a way that our lives could be transformed that we could actually go back into a state of a relationship we can have with God just like Adam had. 
Not perfect as Adam in the garden, but a new heart and a new creation and a new life. We're born again. We're transformed. God changes us. And so God says that I demonstrate my goodness and that I save you from your sins. In fact, as Paul said it this way, what's the point of the goodness of God? He says in Romans 2, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You know, it's not God's judgment that causes me to run to God. God's judgment makes me run from him. I fear him. It was when I was 19 years old, listening to preaching, that God began to work in my heart and God showed me the depths of his love for me, that he actually loved me. And I didn't want to get saved because I wanted to live in my sin. I wanted to live for me. But it was that suffering of Jesus on the cross. It was that death of God's son. It was that demonstration of God's goodness and the sending of his son to deal with my badness that caused me to want to repent, to turn from my sin and to turn from God. God has demonstrated to every one of us his goodness in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. And by the way, when we get away from the Lord, what brings us back? What is it? Is it his judgment? No. It's that he actually will take me back as bad as I am. You see, You can be saved and be away from God. You can be saved and have secret sins. And what brings me back to God is not the hammer that will fall, but is the grace that receives. I come back as a wandering sheep back to a loving shepherd. And that's the demonstration of God's goodness. So where are you tonight? Are you a believer? Do you believe in God's goodness? All right, let me ask a second question. Because I realize tonight many of you are professing Christians. Where are you in your life and in light of your circumstances and situations, whose voice are you listening to? I asked a friend of mine not long ago, I said, how are you doing? He said, not too good. I said, what are you doing? He said, "I'm, I'm listening too much to my own heart. May I ask you a question? Have you embraced the goodness of God in the light of your situations? Because God is always good. May we bow our heads together for prayer. Lord, we want to thank you tonight for your goodness to us. Thank you for your people that have come to your house tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth. Oh, how we love your law. Lord, it's so good. It's so good. I pray for everyone in this building tonight, perhaps, that have wandered from you, that they will come back to you, for your goodness leads us to repentance. For anyone tonight who is without faith, who is without hope, without without a relationship with you, oh, Lord, may they... Stop running from from you and they would run to you. 
And thank you, God, for your goodness. Help us to confess it, believe it, testify it, and trust in it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.